You're listening to Porch 84, a podcast where we interview community advocates from across Southeast Iowa who are working to make the region a truly great place to live. My name is Mike Heaton, and I'm here on the porch of Jeff Fager, Democratic candidate for District 84 of the Iowa House of Representatives. We are one week out from election 2020, and we've covered quite a few very important topics over the last month here on Porch 84. This week's topic is so important to our region, to our culture, to our economy, that we're going to give it two full episodes. And that topic is agriculture. We're going to kick it off with our first episode today with an interview of Jeff Olson, a family farmer from the northern part of District 84. Then on Wednesday, we are going to hear about the future of agriculture from one of the premier experts in the world on the future of agriculture, former United States Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. It is Ag Week on Porch 84. Jeff, kick us off and tell us about episode one and your interview with Jeff Olson. Jeff Olson is a fifth generation farmer here in Henry County. He also happens to be a member of the Henry County Soil and Water Conservation District. He's also a member of the board of the Conservation Districts of Iowa, so he's very active in agriculture locally on his own farm and statewide. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, when I first moved back here to Mount Pleasant, I heard Jeff's name. He's a little bit of a, of a local legend, especially uh, north of town in terms of conservation and agriculture. And also I hear he's pretty active in the community theater uh, with uh, music and such. I happen to sit next to him often in the uh, Mount Pleasant Corral. Nice. Very good. Well, I don't want to delay any longer, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and listen to your interview with him. Welcome back to My Porch. Uh, I'm very happy to welcome for this interview Jeff Olson. Heard as a fifth-generation farmer, and we're very pleased to have him here. Tell us about yourself. What do you find fascinating, exciting, and enthusiastic about farming? I've wanted to farm since I was playing in the flower beds of my mother's at my mother's house and uh, with my little toy tractors. The farming. I was very, I think I probably would have been uh, considered maybe a hyperactive kind of child. I was, I can't sit still type of thing. And, uh, there's always stuff to do on the farm. And I like to, to uh, fix things. Sometimes that's, that's about all I get done is I fix things. That, mean, that means I break things too, I guess. <laughs> I understand that's an important <laughs> skill for farmers. You often have to fix we stuff. We have a lot, of, a lot of support in the community with the uh, implement dealers and, and uh uh, welding shops and things that help help us get along the, the auto parts stores this and it's it's very important to have a community dependent on one another my wife gail and i met at iowa state she was a northeast iowa farm girl uh, we have three children i have a teacher at perry iowa and an engineer in in ohio marysville ohio and my son ian is helping us farm you not only have a long heritage, but you have an investment in the future, in the land and what agriculture means. We have, uh, we're not big farmers by some, some standards. We do, we have about 1,300 acres and we, we rent a lot of land. We don't own all of our land. I farm for my mother and my brother and my cousins. Uh, so there's heritage there too. I'm doing the work for my family. I grew up in northern Indiana. 
And if I heard about a 1,300-acre farm, it's, oh, my God, it's huge. It's huge. My grandfather farmed 80 acres, and that was a pretty good-sized farm. Well, things change. But they, exactly. We have, exactly. We can do it. And it, think about the, the you know, out here, you know, we're, we're up in the northern part of the county at every square mile. You know, we got 640 acres. Yeah. With a, with a horse, you couldn't farm any more than... If you had a hired man, maybe 80 or 160, but right, most of the right, guys right. would be 80 because right. with a horse, you'd have 20 acre fields or 10 acre fields. And, and, but that's 648. So that's eight, eight eighties. Yes. So you'd have six or eight families. Yes. And you'd have kids. And there's a reason there was a schoolhouse every two miles. Yes. So the kids never had to walk any more than a mile. Yes. They're all those families, all those kids. I'm reading my grandfather's diary from 100 years ago and, and dating with the horse and horse and buggy. The cars were around, but it's, it's really, and people were different. If you were traveling and you had problems with a wagon wheel break, people would just put you up. And, and oh, yeah, yeah you just stop at their house and they'll feed you and stay for the night and get things fixed in the morning. If you had a storm when you're going to church and a thunderstorm came up, you put the horse in the, name, in the, in the, uh, the barn you know, the, the place he stopped to get out of shelter. The horse didn't like it because it wasn't his barn. But, yeah, but, <laughs> but you, you could do that. And yeah. one thing I, I learned with the, the organic and the way grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather farmed when they didn't have so many people in their pockets, you save money. <laughs> it's, it's just you're not spending money. You're, you're, you're getting more profit because you're not spending it all. You're trying to do your own... Uh, don't have you know fertilize you you grow your own fertilizer with the oh. animals oh yes 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 so you're not buying synthetic fertilizer you're raising animals who produce the fertilizer naturally and we we've done a lot of things a little bit differently we raise a lot of specialty crops we have about 200 acres certified organic we raise uh different things for a premium like a non-GMO or a special bean for a special oil. We have raised in the past white corn for Quaker Oats instant grits. We've raised blue corn for chips. Uh, we've raised high starch corn for hog feed. Uh, just the, anything that we do a little bit differently. And we, um, my background is, is as an engineer. I used to build elevators for an off-farm job. So we have a lot of smaller bins we can identity preserve especially crops that way. And that's what it takes when you do special stuff. You have to keep it separate for the buyer. Well, you've got quite a diversity right on your farm, and that's, that's rather exciting. It's very important in the organic because you cannot use synthetic fertilizer. So you have to have animals to feed that. You have to use the animal waste product, the manure, to feed the crop. It is just the way we used to farm. Uh, unfortunately, the way things have gone, we don't have enough farmers on the land anymore to do it that way across the whole nation. We need to use more, more sustainable type of farming. I have a new term. Sustainable would be a, a status quo, and we need to regenerate. So a regenerative agriculture is the new term to try to store carbon, to try to make the soil come back, because we have robbed that resource from the prairie. The prairie was much more productive than we are now with our monocultures. 
say I've used that term sustainable agriculture before, but as you point out, we have already done damage to the soil, and so sustaining it at its present level may not be good enough. So now we're using this term, and I'm going to see if I can say it right, regenerative? I believe so, yes. Very Mm -hmm. good. Okay. I've tried to study up on regenerative agriculture, and it has several points, and there there are um, seven points here I could highlight. Regenerative agriculture would be... um, Diversity in crop rotations, cover crops and green manures and perennials, um, retain the crop residues that we use, what we have from our, from our, our, our different crops, uh, use natural sources of fertilizer such as compost, employ highly managed grazing systems and integrate crops and livestock together, like the livestock would eat the, the, the cover crop. Uh, Reduce tillage frequency and, and depth, and eliminate some of those synthetic chemicals. We know that the only new wealth in the, in the world is solar. So if we can change solar energy into food or in back and use the solar energy to grow cover crops that store carbon back in the soil, and organic matter is carbon. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get that uh, carbon sequestration in the soil um, it it would the world would be a lot better off so this actually has a connection to another very big issue that we're facing and that's climate change and the concern with putting more and more carbon in the atmosphere using regenerative agriculture we can begin to and you use the term sequester the carbon back into the soil Yes, it's been said that we've we've lost half of our organic matter, and that uh, some people say we've lost half our topsoil. But I believe it's probably the organic matter in our topsoil is is moved. You can see in your aerial photo- photography the the hilltop or the upper places are lighter color. When we when we came here, the prairie had probably an even depth of topsoil, and we've moved it down the hill. Towards the, towards the streams, and, and it's not all washed away, but it's moved in different places, right. and that le- leaves the top of the hills less productive. So if we can return that organic matter level, it'll also help hold the water on the soil with no-till and uh, crop residues and cover crops. We can hold the soil in place for the future. Right. So, and, and so that brings up the issue of erosion. Uh, what... What happens to that soil? Well, erosion, uh, some of the pollutants in the, in the water, of course, are nitrates from over-fertilizing the soil with nitrogen and not, and not taking care of it and keeping it on the soil, putting it on at wrong times of the year. Phosphorus attaches very tightly to soil particles, and that's what gets washed away. You lose your phosphorus. Potassium is highly soluble anyway, but uh, it usually goes down through the soil profile. But phosphorus is what um, makes the, the algae blooms in the streams. And, and when we lose the, the nutrients and to the Gulf of Mexico, we create this dead zone and, and ruin their fisheries. So I have a friend who calls himself a, a shrimp hugger. Yeah, so he's, he's trying to save the shrimp yes, in yeah. the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> yeah. so, 
which shows the interconnectedness of all of this, that uh, what we do with our soil and our water not only affects the productivity of our farmers right here in Iowa, it can have an effect down the streams, into the rivers, down the Mississippi, right to the Gulf of Mexico. We're trying to put our best foot forward in Iowa, trying to do cover crops. And the, uh, some of our programs cost share the, the cover crop application so it can get more cover crops on the land. It's going to take a lot of work yet. Right, right. It's a big, big issue, and, and we've mentioned this before, that agriculture encompasses everything from the very large corporate farms to the small organic farmer to the companies that support agriculture. You seem to sort of be in the middle of this. You've got what we might consider a traditional farm with greater diversity in your production, the crops, and you have animals. So, um, yeah, we have cattle. We don't have any hogs. We just use, cattle. We utilize some of the, um, because I value manure as a, as a resource, we utilize some of the large hog buildings and try to put the large hog building manures on our ground responsibly. I try to put it, we okay. don't over-apply. We put it in, in the places that's going to grow corn the next year because the hog manure is high in nitrogen, which we need to buy otherwise. So we, we try to put it injected in the ground so it doesn't stay on the surface. It attaches to the soil better if we need to inject it. Yes. This is obviously a hot topic, and that's what we call CAFOs, or the confined animal feeding operations. And one of the controversies is what to do with all that waste. But you're finding a use that can help you as a farmer and create a benefit from this hog waste. So it is important to get the resource to where it can be used. It's not a waste that way. And the large hog facility considers it a waste because they, they want to get rid of it. <laughs> it's very important. They, but they're highly regulated by the DNR of how much we can put on. I have to give them soil tests that show my soil needs it and is not over-applied, and we retest the soil every four years. The hog building owner is responsible for testing the manure and, and make sure it gets to the right places. There's regulation that we follow. Yes, and so all of that uh, increases the complexity of your job. This isn't, this isn't like what your great-great-grandfather had to face uh, in the 1850s, so... This is quite an operation now. I think we will take a quick break at this point and come back, and I have another series of questions I want to hit you with. Your vote, it does matter. We all are tired of the negative campaign ads, the constant phone calls, and the divisiveness. As Iowans, we have been bombarded longer than anyone because of our first-in-the-nation caucuses. But there is a reason campaigns are spending millions to influence Iowans. Our opinion? It does matter. Your vote has value. In Iowa, almost every national race and many local races are considered toss-ups. Those razor-thin margins give us each an unusually rare amount of influence on our local, state, and national politics. Your opinion and your vote, they matter. 
to learn about how you can vote in Iowa on or before November 3rd, visit the Iowa Secretary of State's website at sos.iowa.gov. Welcome back to Porch 84 and my interview with Jeff Olson, a fifth-generation farmer here in Henry County. Jeff, we've been talking about regenerative farming and some of the things you've done. Uh, I would like to get a bit more specific. If you could describe something you've done that you feel good about, that you've made a difference in at least your little corner of Henry County. Well, I, I do a lot of cover crops. A farm is covered with a growing plant from the spring uh, when we plant the corn or the soybeans or the small grains until fall when the frost comes and, and, it's, uh, and it kills, kills everything and everything turns brown. We use a, uh, a cover crop to keep living plants and, and roots in the soil year-round. One of, our, one of our major cover crops we use is cereal rye. And you'll see that uh, stay kind of green all winter. And then it flourishes in the spring, comes on. Okay, so it's, you keep something growing. Keep something growing. Or alive. Yes. And it, the we're just, we're learning so much about the soil biology. I mean, it would be nice if we could just turn it back to prairie. We can't make a lot of money with the prairie. So we have to use something that... that as a crop that we can sell. But the prairie was diverse, had deep-rooted plants. The, the interaction and the symbiosis of the roots and the fungi in the, in the roots, mycorrhizae fungi create a, an, an extension of the root's ability to pick up nutrients in the, in the symbiotic relationship. And we're learning all kinds of different things about this and I'm not sure that our, our forefathers knew about it, but they, they knew that more than just one crop monocropping was, was good. They used to rotate the crops to, to alfalfa and small grains and, and maybe even perennials. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of farms had vineyards. And, and Iowa, for Prohibition, Iowa was leading in wine production. We can grow wine here, and we're getting it back now. But... Uh, there's a lot of things that farms did to be self-sufficient yeah. and, and vegetables and things. So, again, to think about what this actually is going to look like on your farm, you harvest a corn crop. Mm -hmm. Now you've got a field that looks relatively bare and brown. You go in and you sow rye. And it puts down roots there, it may be dormant over the winter, but it's, it's alive. And these roots also are interacting with the soil. In the spring, then, this rye really comes to life. Can that be a crop, or do you just... Yeah, I, we, we raised some of our own rye for seed this year. The roots that go down go deep when they are harvested. Those root systems then die but leave a pathway for water to infiltrate the soil uh, they do they do uh, the decomposition you know you've put carbon down in the soil by having all that root system down there 
Uh, oh, okay. So while it's uh, holding the soil together, it's also, again, using that term, sequestering carbon into the soil. Okay. Putting, putting so interestingly, you've actually increased the productivity of your farm because now you have a crop that can be harvested in the spring and increase the productivity of that acreage. That's fascinating. We've collected more solar energy than we would have in this, the, the summer months. We've uh, more, more photosynthesis has gone on. And it's, it's sometimes you can tell that the soil is warmer. It's there's biological activity deeper into the winter. It sounds like it should be a, a great step forward. But Jeff, I'm hearing that current farmers, the, the family farm is struggling financially, that farmers are having a hard time making a living to house and feed their families. Uh, am I hearing that correctly? I, you're very well educated on that. One of the main expenses is health, our health care. And a lot of farmers have a spouse or they, they themselves have off-farm jobs just to keep their health care, uh, to have somebody provide health care for them. It is a very big expense for a self-employed person to do their own health care. We, we were, you know, through the 80s, both Gail and I had off-farm jobs. I did construction and anything we could do. We do custom bailing for neighbors. And it's things we probably would do anyway to help the neighbors out. We used to do that a lot. Um, we used to help him uh, go bale hay or shell corn and, and help a neighbor because then you could have your neighbor it would help you back. I, that's what kind of addicted me to farming, uh, that I appreciated those social interaction times when you got together with your neighbors and helped one another because you knew you could count on them to come help. You went to help them, and, and they would come back and help you. And then we'd have a, a meal together, and you'd share. You'd, and the breaks, you'd share information um, today's farmer may be a little more guarded about that information. He doesn't want to tell what, what he's doing uh, to be successful, but I like that. I like to share information and, and help people out like that. Um, we have a group that we belong to, and we've belonged to it since the late 80s, called Practical Farmers of Iowa. And that's one of the things I am proud about. Uh, our operation has, we've done a lot of on-farm research, and that research is available through practicalfarmers.org. Um, a lot of things we have uh, looked at, sustainable techniques and, and different uh, grazing, uh, CSAs, uh, community-supported agriculture. A lot of people have uh, do uh, the successful smaller operations where they're not a lot of acres, but growing vegetables and growing specialty uh, livestock, are, are they able to sustain uh, an income to support a family? You know, all families are different, but it has gone way out of line to, you know, how much it takes to live with your, with your insurance and, and uh, health insurance and food. And so it, it's an interesting thing, but can we do it without having one spouse, one person off farm income, or can you do it? without family help. It sounds like a real challenge. Have you heard any possible solutions to this? Uh, avenues that might help the family farm survive and farmers make 
a livable wage or a livable income. How? I, I'm not saying that we're so successful, but we, we did it with, with trying to do things with specialty crops and doing things a little bit differently. I hate to say it, but yeah, I think it, it's, it's hard to be a, a self-employed only farm without making some sacrifices. So you can't, you can't live like the, the Joneses and the Smiths down the road. You've got to control your car. And, and that's my, the successful families that I see are very frugal. And I don't know that my great grandfather, who was very frugal, would call me frugal. But we we try, we don't drive the the latest brand new pickups and and cars and and brand new machinery. We fix our old machinery. Try to, but yeah. also farms are dependent on the community, and the community is healthier when the farms are healthier. A farmer's getting a a subsidy or something from the government. It goes right back into the community. I think the government is smart in, in providing monies for basic industries like farming. So I can see why farming is important to, to support because it's, it's making something from solar energy, which is our only new wealth in the world here. Right. So the community is dependent on farmers. Farmers are dependent on community. So we need to work together to see how we can make this work efficiently and work into the future. Economic activity is, is important. The, the money rolls over for, for a livestock farm much more times in, in the community as you support the um, electricians, plumbers, uh, feed manufacturers, the, the feed producer that you don't, you don't grow your own alfalfa meal or something. So the feed store, the, the truck drivers, uh, Livestock is a, a lot more, it rolls the money over in the community a lot more than just cash grain. Farms support the communities. I'm traveling to Northeast Iowa, they kept their livestock because their, their terrain was more suitable for livestock up there. And in the last 40 years that I've been traveling up there, that has gone by the wayside. You don't see the 30, 40 cow dairy herds anymore. They've all got bigger. And the main streets have vacated also. It's it's been sad to see to see that in all communities, all small communities. We we've not done something right to 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 have the main streets get to be ghost towns. Well, we have seen the, the evolution in our culture and in many industries and agriculture is not immune to that kind of change. We clearly face some significant issues. And yet we have people who are dedicated to this lifestyle. They're certainly not in it for the money, but as a society, we need to find some solutions for them. And so we can continue to grow and strengthen everybody. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much for joining me on my porch. And I hope we can continue these kinds of conversations into the future for agriculture and the future of Iowa. You've been listening to Porch 84. This is Mike Heaton, and once again, I'm on the porch of Jeff Fager, Democratic candidate for District 84 of the Iowa House of Representatives. Jeff, what a, what a great interview with Jeff Olson. I uh, really enjoyed listening to him talk about the challenges and, and opportunities uh, related to family farming in Southeast Iowa. Uh, once again, 
an emphasis on relationships. It seems to me like that's an ongoing theme we have with all of our interviewees is this importance of relationships. And I can definitely see it in family farming. And I can't think of a better crew to, to depend on in family farming for generations than that crew up there in Swedesburg and Crawfordsville. Some incredible families like the Tolanders and the Unkridges and the, the Lowers and the Woleens, uh, the Maddens and the Crawfords. There's generations of great, great family farms. And I'm pretty sure places around Salem, farms around Pilot Grove and, and Winfield and, and West Point, you know, the list goes on and on, Trenton and Wayland, they're all going to tell you they have these core groups of families that they've all depended on each other to have successful family farms over the years. It's the interconnectedness of the human experience. It's, it's how we live. It's how human beings have survived for thousands and thousands of years. And there is something deep inside us that yearns for that connection, that sense of community, of belonging. And I think we see, and Jeff Olson was seeing, that that was leaking away from us. And he was clearly, you're right, passionate about that, and we should be. I think you've seen those themes come up over and over again, that human beings need each other. And that may be one of the key components in my personal philosophy, that we are in this thing together. Love it. Now, Jeff, normally I ask you at this point in an episode, how would you apply this to the state house if you're elected? And I'm going to hold off on that because as you and our listeners all know, this is actually the first of a two-part series on agriculture. Uh, you can hear the second part on Wednesday at 6 p.m. here on KILJ or at fegerforstatehouse.com, and that is about the future of agriculture with former United States Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. Until then, from Jeff's porch, thank you.